There's something surreal about jumping out of airplanes from anywhere from 12,000 to 25,000 feet. And then suddenly we see this car coming towards us and it was shooting from the windows. That's when I walked into the recruiting office. I have to leave DC now and I have to become something because if not, I'm gonna be another statistic. My firstborn, he was born and then 12 days later, I was on a plane to Iraq. Real soldiers, real stories. Brought to you by armychap.com. Welcome again to Soldier Stories, and have we got a story for you today. In this episode, we get to hear from one of our service members who was homeless in middle and high school, but that did not hold her back one bit. Before we get to that story, I want to give her the opportunity to introduce herself, so take it away. My name is Carmela Avery, born and raised in Washington, D.C. Been in the Army 10 years, uh, going on 10 years. And uh, I joined out of Virginia, and my first duty station was Germany, then my second duty station, Hawaii, and currently Korea. I currently served one, or recently served one deployment to Afghanistan. I am a 92 Yankee. And what is that? That is a logistics specialist. That is a supply specialist. I deal with equipment, the smallest thing, pencils all the way to trucks, ammo, buildings, clothing, food whatever it is that the soldier needs to sustain themselves on a daily basis is what I provide. All right. So take us back to before you were in the army and explain what was the circumstance and how did that play out in your your middle school and high school years? Well, sir, I can tell you that it started right after graduating the sixth grade. My mother's first husband passed away, causing her to go into a mental breakdown, something that I've never seen, you know, that side of her before actually, you know, scratching herself, like just mentally distraught after losing him. And from that moment, we began to go from place to place. Well, we stayed with family and relatives and, you know, constantly going from house to house, but it wasn't, it wasn't working. So we ended up living in the shelters and in Maryland and Washington DC you had to move from the shelters every Sunday so I had to go from shelter to shelter literally every Sunday and in order for me to get to school there were two shuttle buses from the shelter to take you to the train station because I didn't have an address I couldn't ride a school bus so I would get up at four and five o'clock in the morning to make it to school on time by way of metro public transportation. So I was in a shelter in DC, but went to school all the way in Maryland, which is about two to three hours commute to get to school. And how old were you when this happened? The very first time we had to move out of our place, I was 13 years old. Not to mention myself and three other brothers. Although I had an older brother, my older brother at the time he was with us, but no one took care of things the way I took care of things. And I forgot to mention, before we were, before I became homeless, I used to live in my home, but months at a time we would go without water or the next month it would be no electricity. If we had water, there's no electricity. If we had electricity, there would be no heat. So we had to take little shopping bags that you get from the grocery store 
and put it in the toilet because we couldn't flush the toilet because we had no water. So we had to use the bathroom in a plastic bag and take it out every single time you use the bathroom and put it in the trash can because we couldn't flush our toilet. So even before you were homeless, you were already dealing with impoverished type of conditions. Yes, sir. Even in a home. And uh, I imagine that was very difficult on, yes. on the family. Yeah. I, some days I couldn't go to school. I would miss the school bus when I did have an address. I would miss the school bus because the gallon of milk, the milk jug, we would have to save those because if my mom knew that the water would be getting cut off, we would have to fill those jugs up with the neighbor's water hose and keep them in the house and stack them up. Four gallons can fit in a little black crate and we would stack them up on the wall for when the water would get shut off. So while the school bus was coming, I would have to go out, go in the neighbor's yard, fill the water jugs up. And it was embarrassing because everyone knew that we didn't have water because people in our neighborhood, some of them went through the same stuff too. So it was embarrassing because they'll laugh and I'm missing the school bus because I have to prepare for the water to get shut off. That's a lot of responsibility for a kid. Yes, sir. And uh, But you had to, to survive, and it uh, sounds like that was very difficult. Did the teachers at school know what was going on in, yes. in your circumstance? Yes. My teachers knew. When, we, when I became homeless, my teachers knew. And when you are a homeless student, you're actually in the system as a homeless student, so that way you are able to attend school because you don't have a physical address. You know, you have to go to school within your district. But because I lived in D.C., I was able to attend Maryland schools under the homeless, under a homeless student status. And I was a cheerleader. I participated in after school activities. I participated in pep rally and homecoming. My teachers knew what I was going through because I, you know, found the ones that I could trust. And once I told them what was going on, they began to make sure that I had homecoming dresses, make sure that I had cheerleading uniforms, make sure, you know, make sure I looked the part of the team, make sure I didn't look homeless and I didn't stand out as being homeless. Teachers are some of the most wonderful <laughs> professionals that we have. And it's so much more than just academics. It really is about taking care of people. And I'm glad you found some that uh, were looking out for you. So I would say that if anybody had an excuse to not do well in school, it would be you because of the things that were happening at home and, and the struggles uh, just to get to school. Talk about that because I know that you did well in school. So I could I could begin when I, after graduating from the sixth grade, going into the seventh grade, I was out of school for the first six months of my seventh grade year. And I went to about two or three different middle schools before I could get settled into one school. But I found a book that my mom had and I thought it said Jed and I'm like well I have your Jed book and she was like what is that and I showed it to her and she said that's a GED book because my mom never stepped foot into high school so she never had a diploma she never had her GED so she was studying for it I began to pick up the book and on the bus rides I would do science I would do math I would do English in the books so when I tried to get into middle school the teacher said, we have to test your children because they have missed school for half a year. So they said, you know what? We're not even going to test them. They had A, B, C, and D team based on academics. And C and D were like, you know, the lower, the students who needed the most help with everything. So my brother was two years, he was two years older than me, but he stayed back twice. So now we're in the same grade together. 
So we go and we take the test and they tell my mom, Carmela is going to be on the B team and her brother is going to have to go to the D team. And my mom was like, well, why? And they said, are you sure she has not been in school for six months? And I told the lady, I said, yes, ma'am, I didn't go to no school. I've been reading this book right here. And I picked up the book and I showed her and they were like, wow, you, you know, you've been doing things above your level, which is why, you know, you don't have to start at the bottom. I, I went right into seventh grade, almost like jumping off where I left off and I never even started the seventh grade. And then I continued on, graduated, went to, went to high school, a military academy in Maryland. And, and you're still living in shelters at this point. Yes, I'm that... still, I'm still, I'm actually, yeah, I'm living in shelters. We've been, we were trying to get a place, but every apartment that we got approved for, the neighborhood was so bad. People were literally were breaking into the apartment that was for us. They would break into it and begin to live in it themselves. Like the neighborhood was just not the best. They would put TVs in there. They would sleep in there. They would have parties in the apartment. And every time we were trying to get a new one, they would break into it. And so it was better stay in the shelter shelter. so uh, before we get into your high school experience can you talk about that what was what was it like to live in these shelters living in the shelter it was it was very difficult because when my when my brothers were with us one of them had asthma and it almost cost him his life because one shelter that we lived in it was called an open shelter and that's male female children young old drunks addicts everyone under the same roof there was no separation there was nothing so even me as a little girl trying to get some sleep you know having to worry about a man or a woman or addict or a junkie you know when someone touching me inappropriately you know just it just wasn't a really good lifestyle and a lot of them some of them had mental illnesses where one guy had to wear a diaper and you know he wouldn't clean himself so my brother had asthma and because he was not clean and the air was nasty, he would have asthma attacks all the time. So my brother went to go live with his dad. And then my, one, of my, uh, one of my other brothers, my middle brother, he always lived with his dad. And then my oldest, he went to go live with our dad. He and I share the same father. So now I'm the only one left with my mom. And I had people who welcomed me with open arms to, li- to not live in the shelter. But I couldn't leave my mom just living in the shelter. So I was the only one to stay with her. And very little privacy. No, no privacy. No walls. No, there's no walls. And then the very last, one of the very last shelters that we did move into in D.C., one of the hospitals became became condemned. And during hypothermia months, October to about February in D.C., they opened up the hospital and it turned into a shelter they turn into a women and children's shelter. So now it's just me, my mom, my brothers came because it was not, it was cleaner. They came to stay with us so they could spend time with their mom. And going in there, you had to be in at a certain time. And if you were not, the kitchen was closed. So coming home from school, chilling practice, everything. I'm coming home after the kitchen is closed, nothing to eat. And my friends, their moms made sure before I left, I always had a meal they would not let me leave their homes without eating because they knew it took me two three hours to get to the shelter in dc so in addition to the physical difficulties did living in these shelters take an emotional toll and like what was that like it was very emotional and i don't think that i express it a lot i think i still even to this day you know have some hidden things some traits about me the way i 
care about people the way I give my heart to people, like just people that I don't know, you know, strangers, I would do any and everything for them. I think I try to make up for what I lacked or what happened to me instead of talking about it. But I suppressed it a whole lot and I attend church. I still attended church through everything. Even as a 13 and 14 year old, I would get on the bus by myself and ride the bus to my church because I began to, I was always a praise dancer from age five. I began to praise, I began to worship, I began to, you know, have a relationship with God. And I really, you know, I know this isn't about a spiritual thing, so you just want to, you know, get my story out. Hey, this is part of your story. you know, that's, that's who I became. And it, you know, it became a part of me, which is, you know, how I think I got through a lot of the things that have happened. Absolutely. Sounds like church became a safe place. Yes, and yes. one of very few safe places, it sounds like, that you had at that time. So moving into high school, you said you attended some kind of military yes, sir, academy? Attended, yes, sir. I attended a military academy. Uh, what role did uh, the military academy play in, in looking towards the military in the future after high school? Now, the military academy, just like the church, was a saving, a saving grace for me because when I got there, I was able to wear a uniform. Monday through Friday and I'm just like thank you because I have no clothes to wear in middle school I was wearing small clothes my my pants were high waters my clothes were too small I was getting clothes from the thrift store trying to fit in but couldn't because I was wearing off-brand shoes knockoff shoes couldn't afford it got to high school and I got there and they issued me a uniform they they told me what to wear how to wear it and I'm just like okay I can do this and they said, only Mondays you have to wear your necktie. I wore my necktie every single day. I wore my shirt tucked in no matter where I went. My school wasn't far from a mall. So right up the hill, less than a mile was the mall. And they were like, hey, Carmela, you want to go to the mall? I'm like, sure. They're like, you going to change? I said, no. Everyone else changed, got really nice. Instead of untucking my shirt and looking any kind of way, my uniform stayed neat. My hair stayed up above my collar and I shopped in the mall. I went to the movies in my uniform. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I mean, it was one of the things that, that I had that I knew. I looked like everyone else. I looked like everyone else inside my school and we had rank with responsibilities and they gave us soldiers, you know, cadets to watch after, to look at. They gave me pretty much everything that I do in the army now. I did it in the military academy, but it was for school. What's the name of this school? Forestville Military Academy. And it is no longer open. They closed mm. it. Sorry to hear that. Yes. Sounds like they were doing a lot of good for, for you and yes. no doubt other people. Now, as you move towards out of high school, still in the shelter situation, but still performing well in school and, and even getting some leadership experience and that sort of thing. But you made a personal sacrifice because of your mom's health. Yes. So can you tell us about that? Yes, um, I received out of high school, graduating with a 3.5 GPA, I received a scholarship for ROTC to the University of Maryland College Park. And the summer before starting my freshman year, we did a lot of training, preparing for what ROTC would be like when I went to school. And the further away I went, further away into Virginia, my mom got sicker and I had no understanding of why. So since I was the only one that was there with her. And at this point, getting ready to come out of high school, 
there was an organization called Catholic Charities that my mom was able to move out of the shelter and live into an apartment for two years rent-free. They help you get on your feet. They help you do things that you need to do in order to get back out into the world again, get a job, begin to pay your bills, begin to save your money. At this time, I was living in an apartment in Southeast DC, which was worse than where the shelters were. Now I'm able to, you know, go freely, you know, catch the bus to and from home, but now I'm too far from her and she's getting sick. So I made the decision to give up my scholarship. I attended Prince George's Community College, which was in Maryland, and I began to get a job at Kmart, which is right around the corner from where I lived. So I would go to work, get off work, go do a class or two at the community college and come home and take care of her and make sure she was taken care of. We didn't have to pay rent because it was already taken care of. So I imagine that was a emotional decision to make because of what ROTC, which is the way most officers in the army become commissioned, you had that opportunity right in front of you. Yes, sir. But you had to, it sounds like, make a decision that because of the distance and, and time commitment, It just wasn't going to be possible to do that and to take care of your mom, who was very sick for unknown reasons at this point. Right. So what was it like to turn down the ROTC scholarship to take care of your mom? It was a hard pill to swallow. I didn't understand a lot of what was going on with her. I didn't understand. I felt like in the beginning as a teenager, I felt like she got sick on purpose because she didn't want me to leave because I was the only one that was there for her. So there was a little bit of bitterness and anger within me because I'm at this time, I'm like, you know, I'm 18 years old and I can finally go out and do my own thing, you know, become who I want to become, make my own money and not live the way we lived for the last however many years it was from the seventh through the 12th grade living like this. I can go be someone. And now that I have the opportunity, I felt like you want to use a sickness to keep me close to you. But then when she opened up and told me that she had HIV, it, you know, took me back. And I'm just like, oh, so it's really not a joke. And then she began to show me documents because she can trust. She trust. Of, of course, I was doing this from the age of 13. So she trusted me with a lot of information. She started doing her will. She started, you know, naming me as a beneficiary to receive the money. And I was like, this is not what I'm supposed to be dealing with at 18 years old. So I decided to let the scholarship go and attend college at the community college and go to work. But after working with at Kmart, I was let go. And then that that's when I walked into the recruiting office. I walked to the Air Force first and they told me that they <laughs> can't get me out until another year. And I told them I have to leave D.C. now. I have to leave D.C. now and I have to become something because if not, I'm going to be another statistic in my culture, in my race, in my neighborhood. And I know that's not me. I know I I know I deserve better and I'm aiming for better. So the way this recruiting office was set up was there was the Air Force, Marines, Army and Navy. Everyone was right there all in one one area. So I walk out of the door to leave and I said, let me go to the army because I was in army ROTC. I was in a military academy, an army school. And I walk in and there's this guy who's been trying to recruit me for ever since I was in school. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty and, persistent, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, he, he's <laughs> welcoming me with open arms. 
And he's like, oh, we're so glad to see you. We knew we were going to see you soon. And from there... That's how it began. That's how your <laughs> Army career began. Yes, sir. And so that was coming up on 10 years ago. And now you're a leader, and uh, a sergeant. You have deployment experience, and you're not done yet. So uh, now that now we've kind of covered how you got here and, and so your, your past, uh, what's in the future for you? As of right now, I plan to become a nurse in the Army. My passion for people, my love for people, that, that still hasn't changed. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be a pediatrician, and I always thought that ever since everything happened in my life that it was not going to happen for me because things took a turn. When you're a kid and you make goals and plans and you grow up and you learn that life is not what they show you on TV. There's trials and tribulations that happens. And now with me having a family of my own, my three children and my husband, now I want more and I know that I can obtain more. So within the next year after my tour here in Korea, I will be dropping what is called um, a packet to go into officer school to become a nurse. I have no doubt that your future in the Army is far from over. You've overcome much. You're a, a model of a of a survivor in many ways of coming through some very difficult circumstances. You have uh, inspired many people by sharing this story, and I know that that will have a powerful effect. And so thank you for taking some time to Thanks. share us. Uh, before we end here, I do want to give you this Armor of God coin. It has the uh, pieces of the armor of God on it. So that is yours uh, to keep you, uh, for sharing your story with uh, our listeners. Thank you very much. Uh, God has had his hand on you, yes, and he does still. And uh, your life has been an amazing uh, and sometimes very difficult journey. But sometimes it's through those circumstances that we are formed and given the strength that, that we need. And so thank you for sharing your story. I know it will be an inspiration to many, many people. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Soldier Stories Podcast. This is Chaplain David Wright, capturing unique and inspiring stories of the soldiers and leaders in the United States military. Please consider taking just a moment to subscribe and also provide a rating or a comment as that will help more people find this free resource. You're also welcome to check out my website, armychap.com, to read my posts and see some pictures of what we do. It is my hope and prayer that you find inspiration and encouragement through this program. And remember to put your trust in our great and loving God who daily bears our burdens. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.